In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are not seen. A lot of people have this idea that faith and trust are the same thing, but they're not. Certainly trust is required when it comes to faith. Some people define faith as hope, and certainly it requires hope as well, but it's not hope in and of itself. Because scripture says very clearly that faith is actually the substance of things that are hoped for. So faith is something different than hope. And then scripture goes on to further say that faith is the evidence of things that aren't seen. And I find this interesting because you and I both know that as we follow Christ, we are supposed to grow in our faith. But how am I supposed to grow in something that I can't see? How am I supposed to grow in something that I may not fully understand? And so as we go through the Gospel of Mark, today we're going to go through several stories that Jesus in his life showed people what faith actually looked like. So if you have your Bible, go over to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to start today. And as you're turning over to Mark chapter 4, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder that we have a service that we're utilizing called YouVersion. And if you have the Bible app on your phone, the YouVersion Bible app, within the menu section, you can go to the events area of that menu and actually search for a live event in your area, and you will be able to pull up the notes each and every week here at BCC, and you'll be able to actually make notes of your own and email a copy to yourself. It's a really great tool that we utilize, and it has some helpful links on there to the sermon study guides that we put out every week that'll help you really to take Mark even further and get this in your heart. So make sure you utilize that. Mark chapter 4, let's look at verse 35. This is where Pastor Barry left us off last week. Mark 4, verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, his disciples, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. I want to go ahead and give you our BCC big idea for the day. I want to just launch right out into this thing. And here it is. Faith is the antidote to fear. Faith is the antidote to fear. Look at what's happening here in this situation. Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, which we know that some were former fishermen, right? Jesus called them from the lifestyle of being fishermen. Now, in their professional career, I'm sure that they had experienced bad storms, right? I mean, wouldn't you think that the storms that would probably scare you and I, who maybe aren't commercial fishermen, they would like think, oh, that's nothing, right? They'd think that's not a big deal. So this wasn't like the boat is just like rocking a little bit and a few people are getting seasick. This is a storm that terrified fishermen, professional fishermen. So you know this is a bad storm, and it's terrified them to the point that they thought they were going to die. And it's very interesting what they say about this situation to Jesus. 
And this is actually what Jesus is helping them to uncover and see about their lack of faith because he addresses it after he calms the sea. He says, you have little faith. He told them, he said, where is your faith at? And it's not necessarily just faith in the fact that Jesus could have calmed the storm, even though they were amazed that he calmed the storm. Look at their question that they asked Jesus when they woke him up from his nap. What did they say to Jesus? They woke him up, verse 38, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You see, their concern actually was, does Jesus care about me? Do you care whether I live or die in this moment, Jesus? Their concern in that moment was actually, does Jesus care? And I think that it's the same concern that you and I have when we face our own storms and our own situations that seem overwhelming and that want to allow fear to grip our hearts. It's the same question that you and I wrestle with. Does God really care about this situation or where is God in the middle of this? Because it certainly doesn't seem like he's very close or maybe he's taking a nap and he doesn't even care, right? And we can very much get in that same mindset of the disciples because the disciples were ultimately concerned about whether or not they were valued by Jesus, whether their life really mattered or not to Jesus. And Jesus, he's told them so many times before. He's taught them in so many ways where he's given them examples saying, don't you know that if God takes care of the flowers and the birds, don't you know you're more valuable to him than flowers and birds? And don't you know how much he loves you and cares about you? He's trying to show them the value system of heaven, but they're not getting it because in the middle of the storm, everything they've heard kind of goes out the window. Kind of like you and I. We can hear all these great truths about God. We can hear all of these great things about how good God is. We sing songs, I will sing of the goodness of God. And we sing these songs. But then all of a sudden, the goodness of God gets challenged in our life because we meet face to face with an unfavorable circumstance. And all of a sudden, we go, is God good? We say all these cute little sayings in church, if you've been around church for a hot minute, like God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Right? And we say those things. And they're true. They're, they're true sayings. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. But when we face something that looks like it's beyond our control and we don't know what to do, we immediately begin to question the goodness of God in our hearts. Because to our definition and, and in our mind, good means favorable towards us. We means going, it means going our way, right? If we say that was a good day, who gets to say whether or not a day was good, right? Because we'll go, man, that was a nice, warm, sunny day. That was a good day. What about the farmer that needs the rain for his crops? The rain comes down. It ruins your vacation, but the farmer's gone. That was a good day. So it's relative. What is a good day? And it's the same thing. You and I have these relative definitions of what good even means. But yet when we say God is good, do we attach that same relativity to that definition of the goodness of God? Well, God is good when things go my way according to my plan, but each of us have a different de definition of good. So something has to be bigger than your definition and my definition of good, right? And guess what? That's God. God gets to define good because he calls things good that you and I don't necessarily think are so good. The Apostle Paul said, everything I counted as, as gain, I now count as loss, that I might know Christ and himself crucified. Well, we think as Gain is good, unless it's weight gain, right? I mean, <laughs> gain is good. More, more money, more, more power, 
more influence, more relationships, more, more, more. We think more is good, but God doesn't always say that more is good. You see, God has a different definition of good. So when he says that he's good and we trust in that goodness, we have to trust in God's definition, not our understanding of our own definition. We can't put our definition of goodness on God and say, God, measure up to my expectations because God doesn't have to play by our rules, right? God gets to be good whether or not the circumstance that you and I experience may feel favorable or not, whether we may think that it's good because God is good all the time. And we will sing of the goodness of God when we're on the mountaintops and when we're in the valley, amen? And here in this moment, the disciples are questioning the goodness of God. They're questioning whether or not he even cares about their lives. And Jesus responds by calming the storm, thus showing his authority over nature itself. And they're like, who is this? And it caused them to fear the Lord. And they're like, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Can I tell you today that God sees you? Can I tell you today that God cares about what's going on in your life? And can I tell you that God hasn't left you or forsaken you? Amen? Because scripture tells me he will never leave me or forsake me. But I feel this way. I understand, but your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you all the time. That's why we have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight, not by feeling, not by emotion. I walk by, by faith in what God has said about himself, what God has faithfully shown about his character. Those are the things that I can trust in. And when those storms rise, I need to remind myself, you know what? This sure does look scary. Oh, my goodness. The boats are rocking. Oh, what are we going to do? I'm scared. Man, and I may even question within myself, does God care? But then I remember who's in the boat with me. I remember who's in the boat. And it helps me to go, I will have faith to know my confidence lies in Christ. And if he's asleep, I'm gonna t I, I know whatever happens, whether I live, whether I die, he's got a plan. I'm going to trust him because I know that he's good and I know that he's faithful. Amen? Faith is the antidote to fear. Let's keep on reading. We're going to read several stories about this same type of dynamic of faith and fear and how different people responded. Chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, Jesus and his disciples, this is after the sea was calm, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea. and They drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And people came to see it, what that had happened. 
And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might permit him to be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Look at what happened here. This is a crazy story, right? Because you got this guy who's been causing all of this harassment and torment to not only all of the neighbors and all the people in that city, but to himself. He had been harming himself. And it was because he was under demonic influence. And because this man was like possessed with demons. And this thing was called legion. And that word legion means 6,000. And so there's so much heavy, heavy demonic influence in this guy's life that it's causing him to cry out in the middle of the night. He's screaming. And they tried to like bound him with chains because he's like causing so much turmoil. He's freaking everybody out. And he, because of the demonic influence, or maybe he was just jacked, I don't know, he like hulks through the chains and like boom, breaks them, right? This demonic influence, you know, is so wild in him and it's causing him to act like a crazy person and he's tormented he's cutting himself he's crying out and then here comes jesus and he sets this man free he gives him freedom and and he does something interesting man like demons are wanting to go in pigs and i don't understand all that like that i don't know what's going on with that whole situation but but here's what i think all right so i'm going to tell you what i think and you can disagree with me and we can still be friends and you can still go to church here it's fine so I think, I think that the reason that the demons went into the pigs, and there's 2,000 of them, is because it truly showed how much demonic influence was in this guy by having 2,000 pigs, like, jump off of a cliff. And it showed, like, how powerful and how, how possessed this man had been that you see just thousands of pigs, you know, jumping off this cliff. I, I think it was to show how bad this thing was so that it would glorify God to show how Jesus not only has power over the wind and the waves, but he also has power over the demonic. Amen? And so I I think that's perhaps what was going on. And then you would think, right, if you lived in this town where there was this guy that everybody knew about, right, because everybody knew about him, everybody tried to avoid him, everybody, if they would hear him cry, they would, you know, and scream, they would like try to go the other way and like avoid him at all costs. And then you see this guy and he's like sitting there in his right mind, and he's got clothes on, and you're like, thank you. (laughs) And he's sitting there, and he's like, you know, talking like a normal person, and he's acting like a calm person. You would think that you'd go, oh my goodness, wow. Jesus, you have this amazing power and authority. Wow, I I would want to be with Jesus, right? But instead, all the people asked Jesus to leave. Matter of fact, Scripture says they begged Jesus to leave. They begged him to leave because they were more concerned about their bacon business than they were about freedom. They were more concerned about what they were going to lose. And and this happens so much in our lives when it comes to obeying Christ and having faith in Christ that fear of what we will lose keeps us from seeing the true blessing of freedom in Christ. We're so afraid of what we're going to lose because here's these guys They see what happened to the pigs. 
And instead of them asking Jesus to come and stay with them and, and be with them and perhaps continue to, to use his authority to continue to, to, to set captives free, instead of that, they're like, will you get out of here? Because I've got like a lamb business, you know? And I don't know if you're going to like send demons into my lambs, all right? I can't afford to I don't know, you know, what else you're going to mess up that I had going that was my thing. I don't know what else that you're going to cause because you just sent 2,000 pigs over the cliff and they're not even concerned about this man who they knew about sitting there freed. They're more concerned about themselves. They're more concerned about what this power is actually going to actually do and maybe even what it's going to require them or, or maybe what it's going to expose in their own hearts and in their own lives. And so fear of what they're going to lose caused all the people in this, in this city to beg Jesus to leave. Could you imagine begging Jesus to leave? Because you're afraid of what maybe I'm going to lose. And think, wow, how stupid is that? Well, we do the same thing oftentimes in our lives because we want to give Jesus the convenient things in our lives. We want to submit the convenient things in our lives, the things that we're not afraid to lose. But the things that we're afraid to lose, oh, that might cost me something. All of a sudden we get real nervous, and I don't know if I want Jesus messing with that part of my life because, you know, I have a certain group of friends, you know, or I have a certain group of people that I hang out with, or, or, or you know, the cost is really great because there's freedom there, I know, I, I, that, that sounds nice and all, but I, I can manage on my own. We're afraid of what we're going to lose. I have a story that's really close to home that I'll share that I think that will help us understand this and how the enemy works and tries to keep us captive. There was a situation where there was a man who had a decision to make because some things had come out privately to his family that he had been struggling with addiction of all sorts that was wrecking his physical health, wrecking his life, wrecking his relationship with his wife, with his children. And he was confronted with this choice to make a decision to go seek help and seek freedom that only comes from Christ or to continue on and try to master it himself. And he said, I can't, I remember, he said, I can't make that decision because if other people find out about this part of my life that I've kept secret for so long, I'm going to lose so much, I'm going to lose my job, and I won't be able to work where I've worked, and I've worked there so long, and I have this great pension, and all these things. And, and I remember being in this situation, hearing this man say this, over and over again, that sounds great, but I need to work. You don't understand. I need to provide. I'll just keep trying to get free from this on my own. And the reason that I experienced this situation is because this is the story of my father. My dad actually was the one who had this addiction. And when it came to light, he was afraid of what he was going to lose. And it ended up costing him a lot more because he didn't seek the freedom that he should have sought in Christ. Instead, he said, I have to continue to have my job. Well, eventually he did lose his job. He lost his marriage, and he had strained relationship with my sister and myself for several, several years until he came to a place where all of a sudden he was humbled because literally he lost everything. He had $300 left to his name, and then he lost that. And then he found Christ and repented and got healthy. And this was several years ago, and God restored him and restored my relationship with him. And it's a beautiful story, and I'm sure I'll share it with you uh, in more detail at different points in times because it's a wonderful story of reconciliation, forgiveness, and redemption. There's a lot of hurt there. There's a lot of things there that I think could have been avoided had he been willing to say, yeah, I need help no matter what the cost. But so many people aren't willing 
to say, to, to, to say yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to do whatever it takes, Jesus, because we're afraid of what we're going to lose. And oftentimes it's the wrong thing. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my circle of friends, the, the influences that I have in my life. I'm afraid that my neighbors are going to look at me funny and think weird about me or people are going to gossip about me or whatever the case may be. So we give the convenience parts of our lives to Jesus, but the parts that we really need freedom in, we're afraid of what people are going to say. We're afraid of what people are going to do. And so we try to hold on to those, keep those things hidden when we're not experiencing that true freedom in Christ. It's the same thing these guys did. They said, okay, that's great. Yeah, this guy's not cutting himself anymore and freaking out our kids when we go to the store, right? But will you leave? Will you leave now that you've done what you've done? Because we don't know what else you're going to change about our lives. We don't know what else you're going to require. We don't know what else we're going to lose. See, that's why to follow Jesus, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Amen? I count myself having nothing. Everything else is waste. It's rubbish. Because Jesus is truly enough. Amen, church? Faith in the authority of Christ brings security. It brings security like nothing else will if you truly will have faith in Christ and trust that he is good and trust that he is faithful. He showed his power over the wind and the waves. He showed his power over the demonic. Let's keep on reading in verse 21. And Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side. A great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather she grew worse." She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Understand what's going on here. This woman had had an issue of blood for 12 years. And what that meant was that if she were to touch anyone else while dealing with this issue, according to the Mosaic law, they ceremonially would be considered unclean as well. So this woman had been isolated for 12 years from other people for fear of touching them and contaminating them and making them ceremonially unclean. So not only was she unclean, but she was ostracized from having community. She was isolated for 12 years, and she spent everything that she had to try to find a cure. Nothing got better. It only got worse. And then she hears about Jesus, and she hears that he's coming through her town. And so she risks everything because she said by faith if I could just touch the hem of his garment if I could just touch his cloak I know that I would be healed I just need to go find Jesus so not only does she risk going out in public but you know that this lady had to have walked through the crowd and touched other people 
So she's probably trying to do this in secret. I could imagine she's like wearing something over her head, covering her face, trying not to be identified, you know, because she had to have touched other people, thus making them unclean. And if she's walking around touching other people, making them unclean, they're going to want to kick her out of town or maybe even worse, have her stoned because she's made so many people unclean just by her touching them or, 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 or brushing up against them because there were so many people there that they were just, they were just falling over at Jesus. That's one of the disciples were like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And so this woman wasn't like juking people like she's like preparing for the NFL combine or something. You know, and she's like a, a running back and she's like, you know, juking and not touching people. She's touching people and she knows she's touching people. And she knows that she's making them ceremonially unclean every time she touches them. But all she's focused on is touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Because she said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I would be made well. I know I would be healed. This is my last option. This is all I've got. And I'm going to trust in Jesus. And I'm going to have faith that I could be healed. And then when she was healed, Jesus stops. He goes, who touched me? And the disciples like, what do you mean? Who touched you? There's people everywhere, man. And he looks around. And I could imagine that all of the, the, the roar of the crowd, all of the stuff that was going on, it just kind of gets real quiet, awkwardly quiet for a crowd of people. Because Jesus silences the crowd. Who touched me? Everybody's like, what? What do you mean? And then as people begin to walk away, they see this woman and they begin to recognize her because they're like, yeah, that, isn't, that, isn't that the woman who has been struggling for 12 years? What is she doing out here? And then the whispering starts, right? The whispering starts. I hope she didn't touch me. Oh, I hope she didn't touch me. Oh, no, what's going on? Oh, what's go all these whispers are happening. All this gossip is happening now. And, um, and, and you hear the murmur of the crowd and, and, the, and the soft rumblings of people as she's having this face-to-face -face interaction with Jesus. And this lady's scared to death. Because when Jesus calls her out, what happened? We see in Scripture it says she was there with fear and trembling. Like this woman was afraid. What was she afraid of? She's like, oh, no, I've been caught. I was just trying to get a healing and, and like slip away. I didn't, want, I didn't want to be like called out. But Jesus lovingly calls this woman out. And he asked her, he said, what happened? She tells the whole story. She tells the truth. And then Jesus tells her, he says, go on your way. He said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He said, your disease is gone. You're completely healed. You see, church, faith in Christ requires that we move to action. In the book of James, James says that faith without works is dead. That means that we must be people who not, just, not only say we believe this stuff, but our lifestyle is actually reflected. Amen? That means that there's going to be some things that are uncomfortable involved. That means there's going to be some things that are risky involved. Some things that maybe we have to step out into, and we don't know how it's all going to work out. But we step out into it because God's calling us to step out in faith and to trust him because he said that he would be with us. He said, we trust that he's good. And when his word tells us to live a certain way, we trust it, even though if culture and society is going a completely different way, even though we may be afraid, even though we may be scared in that moment, we still step out in faith and we still put our faith into action by the way that we live our lives, by the way we follow the call of God. I don't know how it's all going to work out, and it may not go the way I'd hoped. 
It may not all go the way I had thought it out in my head. Because I'm sure that it wasn't part of the lady's plan to be embarrassed in front of everyone and be called out. I'm sure that wasn't part of her plan. She didn't think that one through. She thought she was just going to slip in and slip out. And now all of a sudden she's faced. It didn't go the way she wanted it to in that moment. But yet Jesus showed her that he has power over sickness and disease. And he showed everyone who he was by having authority. And he showed her compassion. He showed her love and mercy. And he not only healed her, but he restored her in that moment to where now she's healed. And if others, if she touched other people, they're not unclean. They're not unclean because he publicly says, go in peace. Don't be afraid. He said, your faith has made you whole. You're healed. You're free from your disease. It's interesting because he says two things. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then he says, you're healed of your disease. He wanted the crowd to know. He wanted them to know this woman's healed. He wanted them to know this is not an issue anymore. You see, if you don't make a move, if you don't ever get uncomfortable, do we really believe what we say we believe? We want everything our way right away, and we want to live this comfortable Christianity. And friends, I can tell you there's no such thing. Go and look at all the people who were really, really excited to follow Jesus. Look at what his responses were. When they were like, oh, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll go do whatever you want. He's like, okay, sell everything you have. Duh. Uh, let me go bury my father and mother. Let the dead bury the dead. Uh, I'll follow you. Uh, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. You want to come? Look at Jesus' responses. And he wasn't being harsh with people. He was showing them, am I worth it to you? Am I worth you being uncomfortable? And I'm, am I worth you doing without? Am I, am I more valuable than things to you? Am I more valuable than relationships to you? How much worth are we putting on Christ in our lives? Or are we just looking for Christ to be conveniently involved in the areas that are comfortable for us? You see, faith requires that we move to action. It requires that because faith is the antidote to fear. Let's finish reading this story because remember, Jesus didn't get to the little girl's house yet. Remember, he wasn't there to heal that woman. He was on his way to go heal this little girl that Jairus' daughter, the one that they were afraid was dying. So verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, there came someone from the ruler's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Wow, what a terrible way to find out that your daughter just died. Somebody just comes up and just says, hey, your daughter's dead. Don't bother him anymore. But, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered... He said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. They went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kumai, which is like an endearing term saying, hey, sweetheart, hey, little girl, wake up. I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know of this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Because after you're dead and you come back to life, I guess you're hungry. 
think about this, this situation here, because Jesus has shown his power over creation. He's shown his power over the demonic. He's shown his power and his authority over sickness and disease. And now he's showing his power over the final enemy that we all face, and that's death. And not only did he show his power and authority over death through this act and through raising others from the dead, but he showed this finality act through him defeating death by rising himself from the grave. Amen? That death is not the end. And so Jesus here is showing them something, and he's wanting them to understand that faith in him and his power and who he is, that he's good. Because here's the sad thing about the little girl. You know, she, we don't know. She grew up, you know, a woman, mother, grandma, great-grandma, whatever. Eventually, one day, she passed away, right? And isn't that interesting? Everybody Jesus raised from the dead in the Bible eventually died again, as far as we know, unless, you know, there's something I don't know. Somebody's walking around, you know. They're just really, really old, you know. <laughs> um, but at the same time, these people died again. And so what's up with that, Jesus? Why, why raise them from the dead? Is it just to make the mom and dad feel better? No. That wasn't the point. That was a fringe benefit bit of it. The point was to show Jesus' authority over those things so people could see who he was and they could trust in him and they could have their faith in him because not everything always works out the way we want it to. Amen? I mean, it'd be great if it did, but it doesn't always work out the way we want to. But God still continues to be good because the final enemy, death, has already been defeated. So death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Amen? That's the promise that we have as believers, that faith in Christ knows that even death is not the end. We don't have to fear death because Jesus has the power over death. He demonstrated his power over everything that we could be afraid of. Everything we could be afraid of. Storms, Jesus said, I'm more powerful. Demonic activity, yeah, I'm more powerful, even over like thousands of them. Sickness, that's been ongoing and long-term, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm more powerful. Death, yeah, Jesus is more powerful. You see, he shows us that faith is required to please God. That's what Hebrews 11 and 6 says. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's required to receive forgiveness. We have to have faith to receive forgiveness, amen? It's required to be in right standing with God. It's required to be a child of God. Faith is essential. It is required. So where does it come from? Romans 10, 17 says, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is where faith comes from. And we need to have our faith built. We need to have our faith strengthened. Amen? Because there's going to be things come our way that are going to be difficult. And maybe you're in that season right now. Maybe you're dealing with a difficult circumstance. Maybe you're dealing with difficult people, right? Maybe you're dealing with something that seems overwhelming to you and you don't see any way out because you've tried everything within the realm of your control and maybe you've come up short. Can I encourage you today to have faith in Christ even, in, even through the difficult seasons, even through all the stuff that doesn't make sense, doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right, can I tell you that God is still good and he still sees you? He still cares about you? Even if it seems like he's asleep, right? <laughs> he's still there. Don't forget that he's with you. Don't forget who's in the boat with you, amen? Faith is the antidote to fear. Even fear over death, man. 
What do we have to be afraid of? If we're people of faith, man, when, when, those, when those storms rise, when those, when those winds get, get violent, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the scripture says the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. What is that standard that get, gets lifted up against the enemy when he comes in like a flood? That standard is his word. That's why here at BCC, our, our very first core value is that we start with scripture because it's so important for us to be able to have our faith strengthened because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it doesn't mean just once a week in a sermon when it's preached. It doesn't matter how much you enjoy the sermon or whatever. We need the word of God in us, hiding it in our hearts, amen? So that we can trust in him. And then when the enemy wants to tell me God's not good and get me to doubt the goodness of God, even if I don't feel it, I can go, no, I trust his word and I know what his word says and my faith is strengthened and my faith is stirred. And I remind myself because sometimes I forget, so I need to go back and I need to read it. I need to be reminded of his faithfulness. Maybe you even need to go back to Mark chapter 5 and you need to read these stories about God's goodness and God's faithfulness and trust that he cares and that he's good and let your faith be strengthened because Jesus has all authority. There's no one greater than Jesus. And he alone can forgive your sins. He alone can put you in right standing with a holy and perfect God. Not because of what you've done, but rather in spite of what you've done. Because he's good. Amen? Lord, help us see this. Help us get this. Help us get this idea that faith is the antidote to fear help us get this in our heart so it will change the way we see you so it will change the way we see problems so it will change the way we see other people so that we can remember who's in the boat with us and that you're faithful and you're good in jesus name amen